Heavenly Father, I, I pray that as we open up your word, Father God, as we, as we turn and give you our attention, that you would speak to us the food that we need for our soul, for our lives, Father God. That you would be the voice that we heed. You may have had another author write it, but Lord, these are your words. Help us to hear them. Help us to apply them. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as I was studying Psalm 39, I couldn't help but see it as a psalm telling us to anchor ourselves in the midst of troubles. So the title is Our Anchor in Sorrow. And I'm not, I'm not seaworthy at all. I have zero sea legs. I've never been out in open sea. You will never catch me in the open sea. I find no reason to leave dry land more than just enough to get into the beach up to my waist. I know beyond your waist is where all the sharks live. So that's, you know, we have an agreement. They stay over there. I stay where I'm at and we're good. But The purpose of an anchor is to keep a ship safe and secure. It's to keep the ship at a specific desired location or to also help control a ship in bad weather. I never knew that you could use an anchor as an additional weight to help the ship as the storm is trying to steer it and and, and direct it the way it wants to. We need to understand that we as people, we need anchors in our life as well. Because adversity and deep sorrow can come as a great storm and that storm is going to come and it's going to blow against us. It's going to blow us off course. It's going to threaten to cast us against the rocks and drag us out to open sea. But we need to have that anchor set beforehand. Here's why. Because the danger isn't only when the storm hits. There's danger present even when everything seems safe. They say that when the sea is the calmest, you need to be careful because that's where there's a riptide. That's where the the sea is actually going to pull you out. Many families have suffered great tragedy because the sea looked calm. The winds are soft. The water's calm. It's smooth. And, And what can happen is we can be drifting and the movement is so slight, we won't even notice it. And here's the nature of things. The nature of things is to drift. The nature is nothing ever stays the same. It always drifts. And without an anchor, we're in danger. So this Psalm from David that we're going to look at tonight, this Psalm is a Psalm of lament. So there's great sorrow, great pain, great agony being expressed. And David was much acquainted with troubles, as we know. He, he dealt with a lot of different trials and griefs and sorrows. And the one thing that I always come to is, how did David always seem to stay on course? How is it that he never seemed to be like thrown off? What kept him so near to the Lord? Because I can tell you, when I go through troubles, when I go through trials... 
when I go through those hard times, my first inclination is to separate myself. My first inclination is to run from, God, why am I going to do what you want me to do? Life is hard now. And I was already doing what you wanted me to do. We need to see tonight that David, like a ship's captain, laid anchor to keep his ship where he wanted it. David says, Psalm 39, verse 1, he says, I said, I will guard my ways so that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle as long as the wicked are in my presence. I was speechless and quiet. I kept silent even from speaking good. And my pain intensified. My heart grew hot within me as I mused, and a fire burned, and I spoke with my tongue. Lord, make me aware of my end and the number of my days, so that I will know how short-lived I am. In fact, you have made my days just inches long, and my lifespan is as nothing to you. Yes, every human being stands as only a vapor, Salah. Yes, a person goes about like a mere shadow. Indeed, they rush around in vain, gathering possessions without knowing who will get them. Now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Rescue me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the taunt of fools. I'm speechless. Do not, I do not open my mouth because of what you have done. Remove your torment from me. Because of the force of your hand, I'm finished. You discipline a person with punishment for iniquity, consuming like a moth what is precious to him. Yes, every human being is only a vapor. Salah. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help and do not be silent at my tears. For I am here with you as an alien, a temporary resident like all my ancestors. Turn your angry gaze from me so that I may be cheered up before I die and I'm gone. Now when David set his anchor, he set his anchor with a few things that he understood. That he took as how he would arrange his life around. And we need some of those anchor points. The first one is you need to understand life is fleeting Life is fleeting. In the first six verses, we get that whole sentiment of David's heart. He says, I'm going to guard my ways so that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle as long as the wicked are in my presence. He says, I was speechless and quiet. I kept silent even from speaking good and my pain intensified. My heart grew hot within me as I mused. A fire burned and I spoke with my tongue. And he said, Lord, make me aware of my end and the number of my days so that I will know how short-lived I am. In fact, you've made my days just inches long and my lifespan is nothing to you. Yes, every human being stands as only a vapor, Salah. Yes, a person goes about like a mere shadow. Indeed, they rush around in vain, gathering possessions without knowing who will get them. You know, a lot of the things that threaten to blow us off course in life happen to us as we anticipate how life should be. 
As David opens up his psalm, he starts with the phrase, he says, I said. And when he says, I said, I need us to see that David is speaking from a previous commitment, a previous determination, a vow he made. He's not making the vow in the trouble. He made the vow beforehand. He's declaring what he's already determined. What did he determine? What did he decide to do? He said, I will guard my ways. He will protect and keep his ways, also known as his conduct, his way of being. And he states that at the end goal in sight, he's going to keep his ways so that he won't sin with his tongue. You know what? I can guard my, I, I can keep my ways. But if I don't do it with the inside of controlling my tongue, you know what gets away from me? My tongue. And if we're all honest, our tongue gets us in a lot of trouble. How fast and how quick. I think the tongue is the muscle that has the quickest response, the quickest twitch. And it causes the most trouble. David wants to control his tongue. He says, I will not sin in speech. He says, I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to slander. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to backbite. I'm not going to curse. And whatever else we do with our tongue that is detestable before the Lord. Look how far he's willing to go. He says, I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. How many of us are willing to put a muzzle that we would not sin? And he wants to muzzle his mouth as long as the wicked are in his presence. And, and this spoke to me because there are times where I've gone through something and I've been around my non-Christian friends and I complain about where I'm at. And you know what that does? That shows him he's got the same issues that I do the only thing is he's got this imaginary person he blames it on as opposed to the one whom he holds on to. And so like David, we need to work on having a muzzle. We need to work on not opening our mouth in the presence of the wicked. David's motive and his intention was right. His silence was right. But what we want to see here is that his resolve was not deep enough. And our resolve does not go deep enough. When we say, I want to control my tongue, we think it's as simple as thinking about the words that we're going to say. We think it's as simple as being able to catch ourselves. But check this out. He resolved at the mind and the tongue. And both of these fall short of the source of our speech. It's the heart that has to be dealt with to silence the mouth and the mind. We can resolve all we want to control our speech if we're not willing to change our heart through the word of God. It's all for naught. Proverbs 4.23 tells us this is the importance of the heart. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And Jesus told us in Luke 6, 45, a good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. 
Alexander McLaren. He wrote in his commentary, he says, to build a dam across a torrent without diminishing the source that supplies its waters only increases the weight and pressure and ensures a muddy flood when it bursts. That's our efforts to hold it back. We hold it back, we hold it back, and we hold it back. And what does everybody say? Well, I held it back until I couldn't any longer and it burst forth. And you know what happens when it bursts forth? There is no control. It's unfiltered. And so David recounts the events. He says, I was speechless. I was quiet. He kept silent from even speaking good. But the silence intensified his pain. You know when something hurts? You know why you scream, ouch? Because somehow, someway, that relieves the pain. Stub your toe the next time and say nothing. It'll intensify the pain, I guarantee you. And so as his pain intensified, his heart grew hot within him. He says, I mused, a fire burned. To muse is to sigh. But again, I'm going to use teenagers as a reference, okay? This, this sign is like taking every last sigh of your teenager over an entire like week or a month or whatever, and it's all together as one. It's like taking all the sighs and putting them together. That's what David is saying. I mused. I took it all together as one event, and it lit a fire within, and the fire burned. And what happens when a fire burns within us and it lights a fuse? And the fuse, when it is burned out, blows open the dam. And so David says, I spoke with my tongue. The more David nursed the bitterness in his soul, the greater the pressure increased. And after time, even the most damned up frustration and feelings is going to burst forth. And that's why we need to understand the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. There is a time to tear and a time to sow. There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. The wise man knows the difference between the time to speak and the time to be silent, as well as whom to speak with and when it is time. So when David spoke, I want us to see he did speak to the right person, what does it say? He says, then I spoke. And then in your Bible, there's a colon there because he says, then this is what I spoke. Lord, if you're going to vent any, if you're going to let that dam burst forth anyway, do it before the Lord. He can handle it. He can handle all your frustration. He can handle all your pain. You don't have to hide who you are from the Lord. He knows it. He knows it's dammed up in your heart. And God can handle it. He can handle our emotions. He can handle our sufferings. We have a savior who is well equipped and and well acquainted with the things that we go through on this earth. We don't have a savior who, who is unable to sympathize and empathize. David didn't go and speak with critics. He didn't get into vain arguments about those who had strong opinions about his suffering and sorrows. Sometimes we like to go and vent to our friends. And I'm always reminded about Job. You know, Job had friends that were around him in his suffering. You know what they're described as? Miserable friends. 
Job tells them, you guys are miserable. You provide no comfort whatsoever. I would have been better off if you weren't around. And David spoke to the Lord. And as he speaks to the Lord, here's what he does. He asks the Lord to give him knowledge and wisdom through awareness. You know, awareness is walking around with your eyes open and your mind apprehending. You're aware, you're taking it all in and you're considering, you're, you're, you're processing it all. And David desires to have the wisdom from God to be aware of his end and the number of his days. David says, with this understanding and with this wisdom, I will know how short-lived I am. Because, you know, sometimes we start to take ourselves a little too seriously, don't we? We can start to think that we're more than we are. We can start to think that our importance is a little bit more inflated than it actually is. David continues and says, in fact, God, you've made my days as inches. And my lifespan is nothing to you. And then he goes from himself and he spreads it out to all of you. He says, in fact, every human being is but a vapor. You know, what's really cool about this. David's asking God for wisdom. And you know what the Bible teaches us about the one who asks for wisdom. James 1.5 says, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. David lacked understanding. He asked God for it. He got it. He says, wait a minute. Okay, I am actually nothing but a vapor. Whatever I'm going, like, it doesn't matter. And Psalm 2.3 says, Furthermore, if you call out to insight, if you lift your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like a hidden treasure, you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Now, Jesus being the word takes that paragraph and puts it in a very blank slide, apparently. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. Matthew 7, 7. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. And the, the Greek in that is keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And it will be open for you. When you take the lifespan of man and you compare it to the eternal ongoing span of God, and it's not a lifespan, God, God's just the spance. We're, our lives are a mere blip, a, a, a stray pencil mark. Quickly put in and quickly gone, barely seen. How quickly time passes did you know that that's an issue for all of us, not just the elderly? The elderly are just more keenly aware of it. Wisdom 
on the quickly passing of the sands of time, coupled with a heart for God, allows us to be mindful of eternity. Our culture is steeped in the denial of time marching on, on the, the aging process taking its natural course. We rename things. Uh, we have old folks' homes, and we've retained, renamed those to retirement villages. They, they are now like... Um, I heard another one of, of what a community was. Uh, Golden Life Acres. We, read, we, we employ a myriad of cosmetics, of potions and dyes to keep our young appearance. Cosmetic surgeries that promise to reverse the aging process. It doesn't reverse it. It may reverse the effects, the, the, the physical appearance of it, but not the effects of it. The aging is still there. In the end, it's all vanity. David compares the vanishing life to that of a shadow. He says, we're a mere shadow. And then he describes, this is what life is for most people. Rushing around in vanity, gathering possessions. This is the idea of accumulating and building up vast quantities. To what end? I don't know. In this conquest of accumulation, there's no thought given to who's going to inherit, who's going to receive it. What's it going to, what's going to happen to it all when you're gone? The writer of Ecclesiastes says, I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I have to leave it to one who comes after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool, yet he will take over all my work that I skilled at late, that I labored at skillfully under the sun, and this too is futile. And then he jumps down in verse 21, when there is a person whose work was done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, he has to give his portion to a person who's not worked for it. This too is futile and a great wrong. Spend your whole life doing all this stuff for what? For what is it that we're living for? That's what David's saying. What is it that people are living for? Like they don't understand. The vanity, the futility, the accumulation of stuff. I've talked about it before. There, there is a problem in America that only Americans suffer from. It's the problem of stuff. We have an entire industry that's billions of dollars where they rent out little metal rooms where you can go and store more of your stuff. And if you keep up your payments, you can go and visit it. I've done a few memorials, a few funerals, and you know what? I've never seen a U-Haul towed by a hearse when their life is laid to rest. Psalm 49.10, for one can see that the wise die. The foolish and the stupid also pass away. What's that say? Everyone's going to die. And then they leave their wealth to others. God said to the man who, said, who, who had storehouses of grain, and he said, man, my storehouses are full. What am I going to do with all this other grain that I got? I'm going to tear them down and build bigger ones and I'm going to get more stuff. And God says, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you and the things you prepared, whose will they be? 
David is saying that human life is frail. It's compared to vapors and shadows. Time is fleeting, sands, time is fleeting seeds of sand in the hourglass of life, the length of which is a few handbreadths. And surely then the accumulation of wealth is not to be the goal. If that's what you're living for, you have the wrong anchor. We have to live for something greater and for something that goes beyond this life because it's too short. Armand Nicoli, a, harvest, a Harvard psychiatrist said, only when we are ready to die, are we ready to live. My brothers and sisters in Christ, I need us to understand that if we can accept both our death and our life in light of death, then we can be anchored in our sorrows to live beyond ourselves. We also need to trust the only solid hope. David transitions from thinking about life to thinking about where his hope is. He says, now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Rescue me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the taunt of fools. I'm speechless. I do not open my mouth because of what you've done. Remove your torment from me because of the force of your hand. I'm finished. You discipline a person with punishment for iniquity, consuming like a moth what is precious to him. Yes, every human being is only a vapor. Salah. David asks an incredulous question of the Lord. He says, what do I wait for? And we think, what are, you, what are you waiting for? Like as if he's waiting for a train or he's waiting for his, time, his appointment or he's waiting on something like it's a waiting room. No, this isn't talking about that type of waiting. He's saying, what do I look forward to? If I'm living this life for the accumulation of things, what am I looking forward to? What am I looking forward to the occurrence of or the arrival of? In what is my trust? David's already concluded, if your life is only a vapor, the goal of accumulation is a dead end. So David says, in light of death, I cannot trust what I've accumulated. I cannot trust what I've amassed. He says, length of life cannot be trusted. Because it's fleeting. So David knew his trust had to be in something outside the reach of death. There's only one that is outside the reach of death. And it's in that David says, my hope is in you. And I like Alexander McLaren once again in his commentary. He says, what should earth's vanity teach? but God's sufficiency. Everything that you feel that you lack on this earth is because it's God who should be supplying it. David decides instead of losing hope, 
Instead of drifting out further, instead of going, oh, my money failed me. Oh, my health has failed me. Oh, this, this life is just vanity. It's futility. It's just worthless. And it's failed me. And just being in this boat and just letting it go. And he's drifting out to like the sea of nowhere. He's going to set his hope, not in this world, nor in this passing life, but his hope is set in the Lord. The Lord is the only solid hope because he's the foundation of all that is real and all that is lasting. Or said in the New Testament way by Paul, these are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Christ is the substance. When we have our trust firmly anchored in the hope of the Lord, we're no longer concerned with how long we live. It's no longer a matter of how many days do we have. We're focused instead, how are we living? Life is no longer measured by the world's values, but by eternity's values. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, it says, The world with its lust is passing away. The one who does the will of God remains forever. You want your life to last beyond you? You want your life to matter in eternity? You have to live for eternal things. With eternity in mind, David becomes hyper aware, however, that he also needs to deal with his sins. Anybody who starts becoming focused on eternity, focused on the next life, starts to understand the, the dirtiness of their life. The transgressions that they've done because God has written eternity on our hearts. The reason we fear death is because we know that there's a judgment and we wonder. But those who have their hope in Christ don't have to wonder because Christ is covered all their sins. You see, when eternity is in view, we, we realize our dirtiness. We realize that we need the Lord's help from our sins and that we need our, his help from our accusers as well. David declares his speechlessness. He says, I, I spoke no words. Here's why. Because he realized he has no defense. He has no argument for what's transpired in him and around him. David begins to acknowledge that it's from God. We would do right to learn to keep our mouths closed as we remember that God allows whatever's happening around us. And instead, we need to turn and focus on trusting his mercy, his grace, and his goodness. Because those are all qualities that describe the character of God. C.S. Lewis aptly wrote in his book, The Problem of Pain, that God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. See, David's awareness of his transitoriousness of life is heightened by his sickness. He's, he's sick. He's suffering from a physical illness. And with his health gone, he sees himself and he sees his life for what it is in light of things. It's a vapor. It's a shadow. Our health, it, it, it's, a, it's a mirage. 
We work so hard to be healthy and whatnot, but I want you to understand this. Your health is a mirage. Your life is in the hand of God. He decides what our health is. Because we've sinned? No. Because God is doing a work within us. Because God is doing something. When we decide to put our life in his hand and we trust his goodness, we put our hope in the Lord. Here's, here's a few points that we can gather from David's time and understanding here. Um, life is passing. Any illness and weakness is a reminder of our mortality, right? You get to a certain age when you start to notice different things, like everything starts to bother you. And then you go to a trusty old WebMD. Anything you look up on WebMD is terminal. Just, just so you know, it's terminal. And it's horrific. The second thing is sin often leads to sickness. And when forgiven, the root of many ills can be broken. These are things that are apparent in David's time. These are things that David's um, culture viewed. Life is passing. Any illness and weakness is a reminder of their mortality. I mean, in those times, they didn't really, like, you caught the cold back then. WebMD was right. You're going to die. Back then, they also believed if you're sick or you have some major sickness, you have sin. All you need to do is get that sin taken care of and you will be made well. Because sickness is viewed in the Bible as sign of God's judgment or as a result of Satan's work. And so David is simply seeing God is bringing the plague of his wrath upon him. And, and if God is bringing the plague of the wrath for his sins upon David, here's what David decided to do. I'm going to call out to him for deliverance. The same thing is true in the New Testament. When we come to Christ, we receive God's forgiveness. Knowing that Christ has borne the wrath of God on the cross. And that's why Romans 8, 1, Paul can say, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, that means that in Jesus, God comes to heal us, not to punish us. Jesus said of himself, quoting Isaiah 61, he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Understanding this, may we come to the point where we can, like David, but even with more assurance than David, because we're on this side of the cross, can we say, my hope is in you. The Lord has sent Christ to redeem and to heal in Christ in our lives. In, in Christ, our lives, my brothers and sisters understand this, in Christ, your life goes from a vapor and potentially wasted to being in the hands of God and he allows nothing to be wasted. He will use everything to bring glory and honor to himself. This is what Jesus was talking about in John 10, 10. 
He says, a thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. He says, I've come that they may have life and have it in abundance. That's the abundant life he's talking about. The life that goes beyond our physical life. The life that goes on and continues into eternity and has eternal value. Not the life that accumulates. It's not that the life of the Christian has no meaning, but rather that our meaning is tethered directly to the Lord. Now, such an honest realization should drive us to anchor our hope in God alone, right? If, if our life is going to get its value from the Lord, we need to be anchored to him. But too often we anchor our hope to expected outcomes. And when we become disappointed, we find out that our anchor is in something that isn't solid, isn't steady, and the current takes us out. The storm takes us out. We're left to drift. Maybe a marriage collapses. And our hope was in that marriage. And when that marriage collapses, it takes you down with it. Sometimes loved ones die, even when we pray for them. Sometimes a job is rendered redundant or eliminated altogether. Sometimes your friends will become your foes. Sometimes an unbeliever, even a family member, will not repent. Sometimes a sinful habit brings us under again. Sometimes we see the ungodly prosper. Sometimes the persecuted and the oppressed don't get to escape. Sometimes we get diagnosis. It's terminal. Sometimes a ministry that we spend a lot of time in comes to an end. Sometimes our children rebel. Maybe more often. Sometimes our prayers are answered no. Yet in our disappointments, we think that we're alone. But you know what? We're not alone in our disappointments. We're just disappointed with God. But there is a comfort in that. Maybe God does disappoint us because our hope is in the wrong thing. But at least we're not disappointed alone. God is still there. And you can change your anchor and you can anchor your hope in the Lord. See, our attitude must always be like that of Daniel's friends who when threatened with fiery death declared in Daniel 3.16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied this to King Nebuchadnezzar when, they were, when he told him, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. He says, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. 
That is a hope anchored in the Lord. Whether he rescues me or not, my life is his. Life without hope is despair. Hal Lindsay said that the, a man can live about 40 days without food, three days without water, 18 minutes without air, but only one second without hope. If we can put all of our life into God's hands, only then are we anchored in him, our only solid hope. And I mean all of our lives, our hopes, our dreams, our fears, everything has to be in the Lord's hands where we give it all to him and we say, as you will. And then we need to be anchored in the knowledge that this is not home. In verse 12, David says, Hear my prayer, Lord, and listen to my cry for help. Do not be silent at my tears, for I'm here with you as an alien, a temporary resident like all my ancestors. Turn your angry gaze from me so that I may be cheered up before I die and I'm gone. David pleads with the Lord. He says, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be silent at my tears. He says, I'm here with you as an alien, dependent upon you and your generosity. I'm here as a temporary resident. I'm here as a sojourner, as were all my ancestors. Under the law, the stranger was a protected class. The sojourner is an alien passing through the land and provisions were made for these groups to be included in Israel's day-to-day life. In Exodus 12, 48, it has a specific stipulation. If an alien resides among you and wants to observe the Lord's Passover, every male in his household must be circumcised. Then he may participate. He will become like a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person may eat of it. The same law will apply to both the native and the alien. And then there's other laws that were spread throughout the Old Testament of how they were to care for the alien in their household and how they were supposed to be generous to them. And that's why David appeals to the Lord. He says, I'm an alien among you. I'm a, I'm a temporary resident. I'm a sojourner. Now vacationing is great, right? It's always good to get away. It's always good to go out and do that, but there always becomes that time. And it doesn't matter who you stay with or where you stay at, you begin to long for home. You begin to long for your own town, your own house, your own bed, even your own routine. And C.S. Lewis hits the nail on the head again in the book, The Problem of Pain. The settled happiness and security which we all desire, God withholds from us by the very nature of the world. But joy, pleasure, and merriment he has scattered broadcast. Our father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant ends, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. This world, this life is not our home. We are merely passing through. 
And David understood that. And he chose not to be anchored to this life. And in another sense, David also sensed that as an alien and a sojourner, he had the right to seek God in his grace, in his mercy, and in his help. The Lord is the one that put that compassionate law together because it's his character. And David, David read the law and then he knew the spirit of the law which is far more important than the letter of the law. He understood the heart of God. And he, he, he knew that God was mirroring his own compassion towards the wanderer, his own compassion towards the pilgrim, his own compassion towards the sojourner. We have to be, as David, anchored in the reality that this world is not our home. You know why you don't feel at place in this world? You know why everything that's going on in this world, you're like, man, I... I just don't feel like I belong here because we don't in Christ Jesus. We do not belong here. Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus told us to begin with. He's told us this is not our home. In John 14, 2, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You see, that's the promise from the Lord that he's going to come take us home. Because this world is not our home. And Jesus also says, you know the way to where I am going. You see, in the midst of our sorrow in this life, we begin to experience the waves of life that start to toss us to and fro. The waves of our emotions, the waves from the storms that are beating against us. And we're just but a tiny vessel in the vast expanse of the ocean. Known as the sea of life. We can be taken off course quite quickly. We may think that we're in a safe harbor, but quite quickly we can be just taken out into the open sea. We have to set our anchor as a ship does to keep it from drifting out or being dragged out. And we have to be anchored in knowing that life is short and fleeting. And we have to be anchored in the solid hope of our rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. He even talks about he enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, the forbidden place. Christ went in there for us. He is the anchor of our soul. We have to be anchored in knowing that we are passing through this world as pilgrims. Because apart from the eternal God, all life is meaningless. That is what the conclusion was for the book of Ecclesiastes. It's all meaningless. If God is out of the picture, life under the sun, it's meaningless. And that despair will overwhelm us. So I ask you, have you prayed for the wisdom to number your days? That you might live accordingly. Have you prayed to be able to consider yourself 
stranger, sojourner upon the earth. As like sojourners, making Christ our home, making Christ our resting place, our one and only pursuit, our one and only desire. Are you a stranger upon this earth? Because if you are, then surely your plan of life, your pursuit, your conversation, your daily walk will be as that of a pilgrim. Foreign to all of the customs, foreign to all of the manners and all the habits and all of the pleasures that are going on around you. If a sojourner only, then this is not your home, nor are these objects worth your pursuit. The uh, layman's commentary says, Oh, how blessed it is to sit loose and detached from all things here below that we may have our conversation in heaven, that while going home to our father's house, we may use the world as not abusing it, knowing that the fashion of it passes the way. And like the patriarchs may always be on the lookout for that city, which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Heavenly father, we come before you tonight, Lord. And I just pray father that we would take your wisdom from these words that you have spoken to us, Father God. And I pray that you would help us to evaluate where we have anchored ourselves, Father God. Lord, if we're fighting against constant despair, constant disappointment, constant problems, Father, may you reveal to us where our hearts are anchored. And then, Lord, I also pray that if, if we are anchored in Christ, then I pray that you would just pour out your comfort upon us. That even as we go through the storms, that your voice would be heard clearly through it. Don't worry. You're anchored. I've got you. I'm not letting you go. And Lord, I pray for those that don't have that, that do not have that anchor that is the hope for their soul. Lord, I pray that as they feel themselves adrift, as they feel themselves unsecured and, and out in open sea, Father God, I pray that they would reach out and they would call out to you. For Lord, you stand ready, willing, and able to forgive and remove the transgressions. As David, as David asked and said, remove my transgressions, Lord, you've made it easy for us in that sense, that you have put Jesus on the cross, allowed him to die for the sins of the world, that he was buried and he rose again on the third day, Father, because you have accepted his sacrifice. And that you have said that any and all who place their faith and trust in him and his name, that you would forgive their sins, that you would wipe away their iniquities, that you would remove their sins as far as the east is from the west. Father, I pray that those would call out to you right now and that they would find that forgiveness that you have promised in our only hope in this life. Jesus, the solid rock. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. <laughs>